So, and I think that's it. Yeah, Matthew chapter 13 is where we are today. Second half of Matthew 13. We started uh, chapter 13 last week, and this is where uh, the section that gets into the parables of Jesus. Of Jesus. And a parable uh, is really just a story. It can be uh, a real event, or it could be made up as an example. But the idea is that there is a truth or many truths within this story, right? So it's a, a way to teach. And we talked about last week why Jesus was uh, choosing to do this, right? That there are the scribes and the Pharisees, and they're just looking for something to pick at. They're looking at some reason to not believe. And then you've got people that aren't quite sure, but they're willing to hear, and you've got the disciples and other people that want to hear from Jesus, right? So by teaching by parables, it causes everybody to basically get exactly what they came for. To those that are there to be critics, they would just simply dismiss whatever Jesus says, but people that want to hear it, man, the truth is there. And I think it's important that we know that in the parables, Jesus isn't dumbing things down for the people, right? He's not taking a complex idea and simplifying it so that the common person can understand. Instead, what he's doing, he's taking common pictures that everyone understood and putting simple truth within, within it. He's hiding it. And those that want to find it will discover it, right? And that's the purpose of uh, him teaching in parables. We looked at the sower of the seed, as I said last week, my favorite parable, because every time I read it, I get something more out of it. Uh, and in that parable, the sower sows the seed, which is the word of God. And the word of God is perfect. The seed is perfect. There's nothing wrong with it at all. But the problem is the soil where it lands. So it might land on the wayside of the path, which is hard ground. It's been walked on, and it doesn't receive the word at all. And then you've got among the rocks with shallow soil, it's mainly rocks. And you've got among the thorns where it's choked out. And then you've got the good soil where the word of God takes root and produces fruit. Um, and that's what we want to be, right? I mean, that's what we all hope to be. But as we talked about, not only does this represent like four different types of people. I had somebody ask me a good question last week. They're like, now, does this, does this parable just apply to basically new believers, right? I mean, how they receive the word of God. No, I don't think so. I think it applies to all of us. I think it's maybe most evident in somebody that's hearing the word of God for the first time, how they receive it. But it applies to everyone. And in looking at it, I think of the four, the last two, the one among the thorns and, of course, the good soil, represent people who are saved. So you've got all four of them, two are saved, two are not, but all of them go to church. And so I think it represents all of Christianity or people that claim to be Christians, right? And, and how we set our direction and how we receive the word of God, of course, makes all of the difference. Now, as we get into part two, the, the parables continue. And I wish that I could have taught like all of last week and all of this week all at once because the parables are, are connected. There are, there are common themes with all of them. And, and I believe that the, what we looked at, first of all, the sower of the seed last week is, is where we're going to kind of loop back around to at the end. Because the parables we look at today um, are connected uh, and, and have... Some of the same uh, meanings. 
These parables in particular, though, are kind of in layers. And, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on that, but I think a lot of times when we read the parables, there's what's on the surface. And we read it and we're like, oh, okay, yeah, I get that. But if we dig a little bit deeper and we consider it a little bit more, then we see that there's something greater, a greater truth behind it all. And that's the case with these parables today. There's the surface truth, and it's true. And we look at it, and we go, okay, that, that part of it's true. But with almost all of the ones that we'll look at today, there is a, a warning, and it is a darker truth. It's one of those that we look at and go, I actually didn't want to know that, right? But Jesus is revealing these things, and, and I think that's why I like the parables, because it's really kind of a picture of the whole Word of God. You know, as you take in the Word of God, uh, you read the Gospel of John, for example. And the first time you read the Gospel of John, you're like, oh, that's great. I love it. And then you read it another time. And you're like, oh, gosh, I didn't see all that. Oh, I, and you, each time you read it, it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And to me, that's how the parables are as well. That as we take them in, we go, I never saw that before. Right? So um, one of the subjects that's going to come up with the parables today is the kingdom of heaven. And this is one of those that can be a little bit confusing because the kingdom of heaven, uh, when it's mentioned, can represent uh, some different things. Certainly, first of all, it's what we tend to think of first off is, is God's kingdom, right? The eternal kingdom of heaven where Jesus resides, where his throne room is. You know, we read about that as we went through the book of Revelation. And that's what we usually think of when we think of the kingdom of heaven. But it also can speak of the king of heaven. Jesus himself. It can also speak of the people within the kingdom, which is the church here on earth. It can also be speaking of the truth of the kingdom or the word of God, right? So we'll kind of show which ones uh, the Lord's talking about here in the parables as we go through them today. Most of them are going to be talking about the people of the kingdom, the church here on earth. Um, not all of them, but most of them. And it's important we know which he's talking about because it changes the meaning or the focus of the parable. So we're going to be starting off in verse 24 today of chapter 13. So let's pray. Lord God, as always, we desperately need to hear from you. And as, as we approach your word and as we consider these parables Holy Spirit, we pray that you would take your truth and that you would plant it in good soil in our hearts, that it would bear good fruit, that we would be changed, and that you'd give us ears to hear and a heart to receive all that you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So starting in verse 24, it says, Another parable he put forth, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. And so the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And the servants said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them up? And he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. 
and let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them into bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Um, as I said, these parables have a common theme. And one of the ways that we could see that theme is that it's God's work within his people, how God is working within the church here on earth, and in some ways the purpose of the church here on earth. And, and it spans the whole church age. So you could look at it from the ascension of Jesus clear until the day of judgment, right? And that's a huge span of time. But it, it really is everything that Jesus is covering. In fact, the, the day of judgment, or even here in this parable, as it points to gathering them together, whether to the barn or to the, the, the fire, um, is, is a picture of the day of judgment. And so this first parable, the wheat and the tares, um, just like the other ones, Jesus is using common things that everybody understood. You didn't have to be a farmer to know what this represented. Even if you just, if you could be a banker or whatever, you understood this because it was common in this, in this society uh, of growing wheat and the problems with growing wheat. One of the big problems was tares. Uh, weeds in general, but like any farmer, any gardener has to deal with weeds. But tares are something different. Um, tares look exactly like wheat. They're, they're like a clone. And while they grow together, you can't tell the difference. It's not until it produces the, the stalk or the cluster of grain at the top. And, and it's interesting. There's all kinds of examples uh, and kind of meanings behind this. But when wheat... Not necessarily when it's ready for harvest, but when it's grown to a certain point, it bows down. The, the, the head of the wheat is heavy, and so it leans, where the tares are empty and stand up proud. And so it's obvious. As you look out over a wheat field, you can see exactly the, the tares in the wheat. Now, in this parable, um, the farmer is really presented with a lose-lose situation. That if he goes out or sends his people out to pull up the tares, which was one of the things that people would do, you ended up pulling up everything around it as well, right? Uh, like most weeds, their root systems seem to grow faster than everything else. And so you're uprooting weed as well. Um, and really the only other option uh, was to plow it all under. See, tares, while they can just be weeds, there are certain breeds of them that are poisonous. That's why an enemy would do this, right? It isn't just to be annoying. It's not a practical joke. It's just like, oh, this is going to make things really hard on Farmer Smith, right? It's that they've done this maliciously, that it's ruined the crop, that if you tried to harvest it and then winnow away or blow away the tares, what you end up doing is scattering the, the seed of the tares among the wheat, and it becomes dangerous. You can't eat it because it's poisonous. Whereas there's a, the chance of it being poisoned. So the other option is to just plow it under. It's too much risk. But the farmer has a third option. No, we're going to wait. And we're going to wait till the harvest. Wait till the end. When the, the wheat has had enough time to get established and strong. And then we'll go out and we'll remove the tares individually. Right? Now again, we're not going to spend a ton of time on this because Jesus is going to explain this uh, a little bit further, but there are some, those things I think are important that we understand about this parable, 
because it really sets the tone for the other ones, right? That here we have the wheat and the tares, and they are growing side by side until the day of harvest. And the other part that's important is they look exactly the same. So verse 31. There's another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. In another parable he spoke to them, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, until it was all leavened. Now, with the parable of the mustard seed, I think it's easy to kind of mix up some of the pictures. And we see similar pictures, right, of, of the first one that we looked at, of the wheat and the tares and the sower of the seed in the past, right? And so there's things that are very common, again, common pictures that everyone would have understood, but they don't always mean the same thing. And so as Jesus is talking about the mustard seed here, I know that I found myself in the, in the past kind of mixing pictures. In Matthew 17, Jesus is going to talk about how our faith is like a mustard seed, right? And that, that if we have faith of a mustard seed, we can move a mountain. And so it's easy to kind of combine that and go, well, may, maybe Jesus is talking about faith here and that, you know, it's going to start off small, but it's going to grow to a point and, you know, becoming from the least of the seeds to a tree, moving mountains, you know, again, that's a big mix-up. That's, <laughs> that's mashing up all of these ideas. Um, faith is not the subject here. He's still talking about the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about the people of God, the church here on earth. And when we understand that, then the parable starts to make a little bit more sense. It's going to start off small, like a mustard seed. And if you've ever seen a mustard seed, it, it, it is super small. <laughs> I mean, like a speck, like a grain of sand. And here the church is starting off small. It's Jesus and 12 guys. And that's it. That's the, that's the movement. But Jesus also is letting them know that it is going to grow so fast that the only way you could describe it is that an unnatural growth. And, and we don't get this because, again, we're not farmers. We're not growing mustard seeds. And, and so we miss this, this part of what Jesus is telling them. Certainly the hearers there that day would have went, wait a second, that's weird. Because though it starts off as small, a mustard seed does not become the greatest in the garden. It doesn't become a tree. A mustard plant only gets about 24 inches tall. And so as soon as Jesus starts talking about it becomes the greatest herb in the garden, it becomes a tree that the birds nest in, that people would have went, that's unnatural. Well, in the same way, the church is going to take off. And it's not just in the book of Acts. We see some of that, right, where 5,000 people get saved, 7,000 people get saved, and, and that's great. But there, while there would be times of persecution, there would be times in church history of an insane growth where just revival takes place, the gospel's going out. And we look at that and we're like, isn't that what we want? I mean, isn't that, it's sure, unnatural growth. It's bizarre. Nothing else grows like that. But... Isn't that what we want? Well, yeah, you bet. 
We, we want to know that the word of God is going out and that people are hearing it. Um, but in this, as Jesus describes this unnatural growth, he also, this is where it goes from kind of that surface meaning to this warning that's a dark warning. See, in Scripture, especially when there's a picture or an example where it's about farming or agriculture, birds are a picture of evil. And, and so Jesus is saying, look, the church is going to explode. It's going to take off. But in that unnatural growth, evil is going to find a place. It's going to find, not just that it's going to show up from time to time within the church, it is going to find a place to live, to rest and to live within the church. Now, that doesn't mean that every individual ne church necessarily has this evil, but the idea is the church at large, right? The, the, there are those who are dead set on their own agenda and their own gain. And so while part of what Jesus is saying is good news, the church is going to grow, it's going to expand with this incredible growth, there is also the warning that evil is going to find its place. And this evil corruption will take place within the church. Um, and unfortunately, that's true. I mean, I wish it wasn't, but it doesn't take much to look at church history or even the modern church today and go, yep, we can see it, right? We see people constantly pushing their own agenda, constantly pushing their own politics, constantly pushing for more money, give me more money, support this thing, whatever it might be, and then misusing the generosity of other people. Now, I think it is important that Jesus is not saying that we're to ignore the problem. Oh, well, that's just the way it is. That's how church is going to be. There's always going to be an element of evil somewhere within it, so what can you do? That's not what Jesus is saying at all. And there's plenty of instruction of how we deal with it when it is made known, right? But what Jesus is saying is that we shouldn't be blindsided by it evil. We shouldn't be ignorant that it exists. That when something comes across or something shows up and we're like, oh my goodness, and I can't believe that that happened in the church. Well, it's sad for sure, but we shouldn't be blindsided by it. Because Jesus is warning that that's just going to be the case. The tares and the wheat grow side by side. That the kingdom of God and, unfortunately, the kingdom of evil will use the church in different ways. And for the wrong agenda, or different agendas for sure. In verse 33, he says, another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was all leaven. Now, first of all, three meals Three measures of meal is a huge amount of food. We might not think about it that much today. Uh, it's enough to feed about 100 people. But back in that day, feeding 100 people was a huge thing, right? I mean, for us, we're like, okay, big party. We go to Costco. We're good to go. But in that day, you made everything for 100 people from scratch. It was a lot. And so it's the idea that this, what's being prepared is enormous. Again, it's that kind of unnatural size of things 
And, and again, we can look at it, and on the surface we go, okay, well, um, and I've heard people teach this, that this is a, a picture that the kingdom of God will spread through the world and, and do good and until finally it's filled the whole world. And to some degree, there's some truth to that, right? Where the gospel is preached, good things happen. And, and really, the only way you need to, to prove that is look at the areas of the world where the gospel is not allowed to be preached. Look at how they treat one another. Look at the value of life there. Look at how they treat women and children in those areas. It's horrible. So where the gospel is preached, good things do happen. But that par- the idea that this is the, the kingdom of God going forth into the world until it's a good place is not true. The more the word of God has gone forward, the more time has gone by for mankind, the world gets worse and worse. And as we saw in the book of Revelation, it's going to get a lot worse, right? <laughs> it's not getting better. So what is this a picture of? And again, I, there is some truth to that idea. You can go, well, okay, I see that a little bit. But to a much greater degree, again, understanding the components of this parable is that most often in Scripture, when leaven is mentioned, it's a picture of sin. When it comes to uh, the Passover meal, the, the, the people were to clean their houses completely. Every nook, every cranny, every corner, every cupboard needed to be searched to make sure no leaven was in the house. That they were to sweep out everything. Without a doubt, leaven could not be found in the house because it was a picture of sin. And that the bread that they would make for that meal would be unleavened bread, right? And so, unfortunately, this isn't a picture of the the church changing the world. It's more of a picture of the church being changed by the world. That, yes, this amazing unnatural growth or this amazing amount of of meal is going to end up being touched in some way or another by this corruption. Again, it doesn't mean every church is sinful. It doesn't mean that every church is going to be given over completely to sin. But if we look around at the church at large, and we're honest, do we see the church changing the world, or do we see a church changed by the world? Right? The church looks an awful lot like the world, unfortunately. Even the way we try and evangelize, even the way we try and get people in. It's like, let's do something super entertaining. Let's do a smoke and lights and lasers and a big band and all of this stuff. And let's not mention anything about Jesus or the cross. And, and that will bring everybody in. That sounds just like the world. Right? So, again, well, it's funny because even as I studied these, I, I was like, boy, you know, at first these parables are like, yay. And then you realize what they're about. And you're like, oh, <laughs> and so there's a heavy side to them. But uh, again, it's, it's important that we understand that Jesus doesn't want us to be ignorant of these things. He doesn't want us to be blindsided. That, again, he's not saying that we are to be those people to go, okay, well, how do we stop down or stop this unnatural growth? Because we don't want to stop the gospel from going out. We don't want to stop revival from taking place. We don't want to stop people from getting saved. So Jesus isn't saying, well, here's how you slow it down. And he isn't saying, well, here's how you find that every person that's a, a tear among the wheat, right? Your little witch hunt. And I've known ministries that that's kind of what they're all about. They just chase people around going, well, you shouldn't have said this, and you shouldn't have done that. We don't even know if you're really a believer. 
Jesus isn't telling us to do that either. He's just saying, don't be ignorant of it. Just know that this is the case, that we are in a fallen world. We are a fallen people. And even the church at its best is still going to have a very real enemy who is trying to get through the doors. And we should not be shocked that sometimes he makes it in or comes up with different uh, counterfeits. Now, verse 44. It says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for his joy goes out and sells all he has and buys that field. Oh, wait, I skipped ahead, didn't I? You guys have got to keep a better eye on me than that. My goodness. Uh, verse 34 is where we're at. I'm like, gosh, I feel like I'm missing something. I was. Okay, verse 34. It says, all these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables. And without a parable, he did not speak to them. That, they might be f- that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I opened my mouth. In parables, and I utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. And then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. Jesus said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man, and the field is the world. The good seed are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age. The reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered together and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of the kingdom, out of his kingdom, all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Jesus, uh, as he brings out this parable, uh, Matthew lets us know that it's, it's kind of this time frame where Jesus taught everything in parables. It doesn't mean that Jesus always taught in parables all the time. Matthew has been kind of giving us a day-to-day account. And he doesn't always do that, but he's been real careful to say, and this was the same day. And the next thing that happened was this. And so he's saying that in this section of Jesus' teaching, that everything he taught the crowd was by parable. And um, he puts out these different parables, and we've talked about some of the reasons why. Um, But I think it's neat that what Matthew points out here is that it wasn't just to explain the basics. Jesus wasn't just bringing out the simple things for everybody to understand. In fact, he's bringing out the things that were kept secret from the foundations of the earth. These were deep truths. These were truths that even when he explains it to the disciples, they still probably don't even get 50% of it. It wouldn't be till later on. And, and Paul talks about one of the greatest mysteries that's being revealed here is the church. The church was a complete out of nowhere. No one saw it coming. Nobody saw it at all. That 
all the prophecies that they looked to were all for Israel. And so Paul talks about the great mystery that the Gentiles and Israel would be brought together to make the church something no one saw. And that's what he's talking about here. Jesus, I think, is careful to not say that this is the children of Israel, that it's the children of the kingdom. It's the children of their father in heaven, right? That the kingdom of heaven is his church. And so he's, he's bringing out these truths that nobody saw about the body of Christ, the great mystery of the Jews and Gentiles being brought together in one place. And then he teaches the disciples what this parable of the seed and the tares means. And I love that Jesus just breaks it down, right? There isn't any part where you're like, well, what about this? He just is like, this is this, this is that. This, you know, and he just goes all the way through it. Every element is explained. That, uh, and it's a little bit different than we see with the sower of the seed, right? Because before, the seed was the word of God. And, he, and Jesus made that clear. And now he says, in this one, the, the seed is actually the people of the kingdom. And the bad seed are those that follow the devil. The one that the enemy that sows is the devil himself. But the sower of the seed is Jesus, the Son of Man. And again, I just love that. That kind of sums up Jesus' ministry on earth, right? While we tend to look at miracles that he did and people healed and those kinds of things, he was coming to sow the seed of God, the word of God, and to bring people into the kingdom. That he is the sower in this. And that the field is the world. Okay, so this expands it from just being about the church in this one to the entire world. This is the reality of the fallen world that we live in. And I think this is also a good answer. Some of the questions that come up are, well, why doesn't God stop bad things from happening? Why doesn't God stop bad people? Well, he could. But this parable tells us that the result in mankind would be a horrible damage. If he were to uproot every evil person, it would do damage to the weed around it. So God, being sovereign and knowing all things, says, I'm going to let them grow together. And this is the fallen world that we live in. Why do bad things happen to good people? Because we are in a fallen world. Because we've never been promised that things are going to go our way or that things are going to be good or that perfect peace is ever going to happen here on earth. Never. It is a fallen world falling apart even more every day. And that God does not want to uproot or do damage to his people. So the good and the bad grow together. Again, understanding the difference between the seed, the good wheat, and the tares is important. Because it's not just the saved and the unsaved. It's not just those people that receive Jesus Christ and those who reject Jesus Christ. Specifically, this gives us the picture that the wheat and the tares look the same. It's not the hardened sinner that's rejecting Jesus. It's the self-righteous sinner that believes they're above salvation. They have no need for it. They don't need forgiveness. But you do, because you're horrible, right? They look like they're saved. They look great on the outside. Again, how can we know the difference? 
Well, Jesus talked earlier about that a tree will be known by its fruit. And I've seen that in my own life. I've seen it in the lives of others. That those that are playing the game, those that are caught up in self-righteousness, even if they sound so convincing in the moment, give it a couple years. See the fruit that's born in their lives. When there is a person that just has a wake of destruction that follows them, that every relationship, friendship, business dealing, everything just seems to fall apart. Of course, they always have an excuse of why it's not their fault, but it's just a consistent pattern of destruction. That is bad fruit. The good news is, is that part of this, these parables are reminding us, or setting us at ease to know, it's not our job to know. I think there are ways of judging good fruit, and I think there's things that become clear. But for the most part, this is his business. He knows the difference between the wheat and the tares. I don't have to. We don't need to come up with ways or formulas of, of weeding out the, the tares from the church. It's not at all what he's telling us to do. But again, to know, this is just the way that it is, right? The wheat and the tares look the same. One is true and one is false. We're not to ignore it, but we're also not to be paranoid about it because he knows how to sort it all out. And clear up until the end is how this will be. Again, there isn't any time, and I've heard, I've heard people talk about, yeah, well, as soon as we kind of enter into that kingdom age and everything's good, you know what? Even in the kingdom age, there's still an element of evil. Even in the millennium, after the tribulation, all those things, there's still an element of evil that the Lord is going to have to deal with and will deal with. And he knows how. He knows how to, at the day of harvest, send out the angels to sort out the crop. And to me, that gives me great peace. Right? It's, not, it's not my job to figure it out. All right, now verse 44. Wow, and then I completely lost my place. I'll be with you guys in just a minute. Okay. I'm okay. I just turned way too many pages. All right, verse 44 says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. And for his joy over it, he goes and sells all he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking Beautiful pearls. And when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all he had, and he bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet, which was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which, when it was full, they drew it to shore, and they sat down and gathered the good ones into vessels, and they threw the bad away. And so it will be at the end of the age... The angels will come forth and separate the wicked from among the just and cast them into the furnace of fire. And there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to them, Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. And then he said to them, Therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Now, the last parable of the dragnet reinforces 
the same elements of the other ones, uh, that the good and the bad will be brought together. He will be the one to sort them out. But the two concerning uh, the treasure and the pearl are very different. And they're different from the other ones that are talking about the good and the evil growing together and, and time of harvest or sorting or whatever. Um, and it could seem like he's changing subjects here, but they tie together in a very important way. Again, we can look at kind of the elements that it's somebody who finds something valuable. They find a treasure in a field, and it's so, so fantastic. They go away, sell all that they have, come back and buy the entire field that they might possess the one treasure that's within, within it. The pearl the same way, although this time, rather than just stumbling upon it, it's a merchant searching for pearls of great price until he finds one that's better than them all, sells all that he has, and he doesn't just make it part of a collection. It's everything for that one. Now, again, I've heard it taught, and I think on the surface we can look at that and go, well, okay. So we're to be those that see Jesus as being so precious that we leave everything behind in the world, and, and we hold on to him as, as the most precious treasure. And again, there's truth to that. There's, there's definitely a side of that that we go, yeah, that's part of our calling. But if we think about it maybe a little bit deeper, what did we really give up for Jesus? What did we sell in order to purchase him? It doesn't really work, does it? But if you realize Jesus is the one who came searching for us. And he sold everything. Left his throne in heaven. Gave his very life. Paid for our sin individually to purchase us. To purchase me and you. That makes a lot more sense. And so Jesus, as he's talking about all these things, again, there's a heaviness to those, those first few parables of, of you kind of go, well, gosh, what do we do? I mean, there's, there's going to be an evil growing, and there's going to be this constant conflict, clear up until the end of the age, clear up until the day of, of judgment. Jesus tells these parables to go, I know all of that, and you're the reason I've come. You're worth it all. I will pay everything for you. And again, not the collection, you individually. A single pearl, a single treasure. He bought the whole world, all of mankind. He paid for every sin ever committed by everybody, buying the whole world for you. It's powerful. Now he asked the disciples, have you understood all these things? And I love the disciples. I just, <laughs> yes, Lord. <laughs> of course. I don't think Peter gets it, but yeah, we get it. And Jesus doesn't correct them on that, right? He's like, you guys don't get it, you bunch of liars. He doesn't say that at all because to some degree, they do get it. They, they understand as much as they can comprehend at that time, right? And he tells them that, you're like a householder. The idea is like a steward over a great property. You're in charge of the treasure room. And everything that you've heard and understood about the kingdom of heaven is the treasure you've been entrusted with. 
bring it out in the right time. The good things, the bad things, the new things, the old things, it's all part of the treasure. Verse 53 says, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there, and when he had come to his own country, he taught them, taught in their synagogues, that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom from and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is his mother, is his mother called Mary? Excuse me, is not his mother called Mary? And his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters, are they not all here with us? And where did this man get all of these things? And so they were offended at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and his own house. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Now this is a, a, a seems like a bit of a, tangent from talking about the parables but again Matthew's kind of closing out this section that he's been day by day or even the same day these are the events that took place this is what Jesus taught during this time he taught by parables to all these people and then he just kind of wraps that section up by saying and then we went on to Nazareth which is Jesus country the land the place where he was from and at first it seems like the people were blown away Right? Like they're like, wow, where did this guy get all this? All these miracles and wisdom, and, and how can he do all this? But we, under, we misunderstand the tone. What they're saying is, is, we know this kid. He grew up here. Who is he to instruct us? That's the tone. Right? We know his family. We know who his dad was. We know his mom's here, brothers and sisters, which is important. Right? I grew up in the Catholic Church, and they said Jesus didn't have any brothers and sisters. Mary was always a virgin. Nope, not according to Scripture. Had a pretty good-sized family. They don't even list the sisters. A bunch of his sisters, they're all here, right? And Jesus really sums up their attitude that a prophet is without honor, is not without honor except in his own country or his own, his own house. He's going, you guys can't hear me. And I've heard people talk about it and go, well, it says that Jesus did not do many works there because of their unbelief, as if their unbelief somehow hindered him. And that's not the case. The reason Jesus didn't do many miracles there is because Jesus didn't actually come to do miracles. He came to save souls. He came to bring people to repentance. And because they wouldn't hear repentance, there's no point in doing anything else. Now for us, Again, I look at this and go, our, the application to us, like the disciples, is we've been given great treasure concerning the kingdom of heaven. But not everyone will hear it. It may even be those in our own family or in our own house or in our own country. They go, we can't, we're not going to hear from you. It doesn't change what we're called to do. Which brings us back to the sower of the seed. That our job is simply to scatter the word of God in every direction. To let people accept it or reject it is up to them. But our job is to be those that allow the word of God to grow within us, that we would then invest it into others, that the fruit would be multiplied to others. doesn't mean that people are getting saved. It would be great, and it is great when they do, but it is the word of God itself 
that bears the fruit in our lives, that we bring forth to other people in, in simple ways, just to go, hey, Jesus loves you. He's got a great plan for your life. Giving out the hope that, that has been given to us, that we would be those broadcasting the word of God everywhere and allowing him to be the one that sorts it all out in the end. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you just for your continued love and patience with us, that you want to refine us, you want to grow us up. And God, that we would be those that would not be blindsided by evil, by counterfeits, by the devil's devices or schemes. Lord, help us to be wise. Help us to be those that invest your word rightly and well to all of those around us. Letting you be the one to, to draw them to you. Holy Spirit, give us wisdom. Give us opportunity. Even this next week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.